Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. of Olympus, an Olympian exploration of cosmic spirituality in action. I am Hercules Invictus, and tonight I will be both producer and host. Uh, I'm very proud to announce another episode of Disclosure Network with Nick, with the host Nick Curdo, and his guest Len Amato. Uh, The topic is fascinating and of special relevance uh, to me, uh, the teachings of Jiddu Krishnamurti. So without further ado, we will welcome Nick Curdo. Greetings and welcome, Nick. How are you? Well, thank you very much, Hercules. It's always a total pleasure to be with you and our and listeners here. here tonight. And when and, are you there? Uh, yes, I'm here. Um, I, does your guest have a 516 or a 646 area code? I have two uh, Oh, okay. Let me check that. Uh, here we go. It's a 646 area code. Okay. I will connect you and I will speak uh, with uh, the other guests uh, while you're conducting your show. Uh, welcome okay, to great. our show, Len. Thank you very much, Hercules. I'm pleased and happy to be here. Awesome. I will be listening uh, with rapt attention. Uh, have fun, guys. Thank, Thank you. you very much, Hercules. And, uh, the program, of course, is Disclosure Network with Nick, and I'm Nick Curto, co-founder and director of Disclosure Network New York. A DNNY is a grassroots organization now celebrating our 18th year of providing two meetings a month throughout the year in Manhattan. We focus on cutting-edge UFO ET issues, paranormal phenomenon, as well as many other important and related subjects from a wide variety of sources as we go deep into the exciting and sometimes quite misunderstood subjects that mainstream press will not disclose or ever cover. Uh, Our membership is uh, uh, doing intense investigative research into these various subjects 
and uh, share that information with our group at our meetings, as well as with our Internet followers as news breaks. And it certainly does all the time. Our motto right from day one is, quote, connecting the dots to seek truth, unquote. We have available to everyone worldwide a DNNY News Blast email service focusing on the topics of special interest, and it's totally free. Just visit our website, and I'll give you that address, www.dnny.info. I-N-F-O. That's it. And uh, just type in your email address where it's asked for, and you will be connected to us. Uh, hundreds of people have already signed for this service, and uh, you'll be joined every day by other people with various topics on their mind. Uh, again, uh, it's totally free, and we welcome you to join us. Now, our featured guest for this podcast tonight is my very good friend and colleague, Len Amato. And Len, what a pleasure to have you. A warm welcome. Thank you so much, Nick. I'm delighted and I appreciate very much the opportunity to share with your listeners and with you what I have to offer. Um, A brief introduction about my featured guest for tonight. Um, Approximately 40 years ago, Len, a native of New York, uh, while strolling through the streets of the East Village in Manhattan, Uh, and having entered a bookshop on St. Mark's Place, came upon a first of a conicopia of books on the teachings of Christian Morty. The book, quote, Think on These Things, unquote, is a a transcript of talks given to college students. Uh, Dramatically changed, transformed Lenz's understanding and perception of life on this glorious planet Earth. A humble beginnings and a full-fledged autodidact, when, with an untold number of others, is eternally grateful to Kay and the source of these wonderful teachings. And we want to know so much more about that. Um, Again, Len, thank you for having uh, uh, said yes to being on my program. And I'd like to start off really right at the very, very beginning. So uh, briefly, may I ask where you were born? I was born in New York City in the borough of Brooklyn. Ah, and uh, did you have a, a big family there, brothers and sisters and so forth? I have three siblings, uh, one of whom is my fraternal twin brother. Excellent. And um, were you were you the first, second, third, or what was the number uh, uh, my as you came Joseph, into the world? Yes, my twin Joseph and I were my mother's third surprise birth. There are two older brothers, and they were hoping for a daughter, and lo and behold, it was a doubleheader, and Joseph and I were born May 18, 1945. Wow, that's incredible. And and, and i got to ask you, did they know that they were going to have twins? Not at all. It was a complete no. shock. That's incredible. <laughs> what, yes. what, what a wonderful surprise that must have been. Now, now yeah. tell me, Len, what were your mom and dad like? They were really a wonderful couple. I have no doubt they loved each other very much. And um, they uh, did the best they could 
uh, as a young couple bringing life into the world. The firstborn was, came into the world only a year after they were married. Uh, and then the second brother about a year and a half later. And then Joe and I were born a year and a half later. Uh, it was quite a tremendous uh, responsibility. Uh, my father was not uh, a professional. Uh, so financially it was rough, but uh, they, they did the best they could. They they were, uh, I, I, they were absolutely wonderful people. They really were. I, 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 every day I think of them, and, I, and I'm so thankful for all the hard work. Well, it's a blessing to have two caring parents because there are many people on this planet that haven't been as fortunate. So when you do have that situation, it's always such a blessing. And I know what you're saying about they never go too far from your memory because that's I think that's really true of me too, and uh, yes. how wonderful that is. Now, did what did your mom and dad were they, was your mom a housewife? Did your dad work in a factory? Just just pr- briefly. My mother was a ho- housewife, a homemaker. She did not go to business. My dad was the sole uh, provider, uh, and for that matter, uh, I remember vividly that uh, he had two, uh, sometimes three jobs between Mm -hmm. his main employment. Uh, He also uh, worked two other jobs in an effort to uh, be able to afford uh, the entire uh, rearing of of, of children and so on. God bless him. My my dad was the same way. He he had a major job and then he had uh, uh, one or two jobs in the evening. Uh, So we didn't see him quite as much as we would like to, but he was out there uh, paying the bills, and he he would say, "We're keeping the wolf from the door." I'll never forget him saying yeah. that. <laughs> Very good. Yes, yes. Now, were your parents uh, at all spiritual, and if so, what denomination? Well, I sh- I should mention to you, my uh, parents were both first and second generation Italian American. Okay. Ah. Okay. And, oh, really? And, uh, yes, and with that. Uh, their faith was uh, Roman Catholic, and uh, no sooner were we born into the world uh, in due course, uh, each one of us uh, were baptized in the Catholic faith. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And um, uh, did your family stay in Brooklyn, or did you move during the course of your growing up years? Actually, uh, we were in Brooklyn for the entire time. I eventually left home. I joined the Air Force at age 17 with my parents' uh, uh, signature and uh, and left the country for three years, went to Berlin, Germany, and served uh, there for three years out of uh, four-year enlistment. But as far as the family was concerned, uh, my parents were born in Brooklyn and died in Brooklyn. And, All uh, right. The, and, and did they have yeah. like a, a, a tent, uh, like an apartment or a, a small house or? Well, when Joe and I came home from the hospital, we were in a rental apartment that eventually my parents had to give up because the landlord needed it for their uh, daughter that was soon to marry. Fortunately, my parents were able to buy a two-family house right across the street. And we lived there up until my enlistment at age 17. Uh, the upstairs apartment was rented. And then I came out of the service, was back there for a brief time, and my parents moved to another 
uh, private house, in this case, not a two-family, on the very border of Brooklyn, Queens, in a section called uh, Cypress Hills. So there were three moves. The initial move that was a rental, and then the two properties that my parents purchased. And I got to ask you too, uh, I think it would be of interest, um, because of the first generation into America, did they go back and visit their their other relatives at any point? No, not at all. Not at all. I, I happen to have been so fortunate enough to have too, visited sure. uh, the place of birth. Uh, my uh, Specifically, my ancestors are from Sicily, but of course, oh. it's still, mm-hmm. still Italian. But no, they did not. My, par- my father eventually did travel quite extensively internationally, but he did not go to Italy, nor did he necessarily seem to have a desire to go for some strange reason. But my huh, parents, no, they did not. Not even uh, my grandparents. They, too, did not go. Oh, I shouldn't say that. My uh, paternal grandfather did make several visits between New York and Sicily, but I don't know much more than I just said about that. So they probably were visiting uh, relatives there and kind yes. of keeping in touch. Wow, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. That would have been such yeah. an amazing uh, head trip to go back and yes. to, to see the um, – the, the the place where they they came from uh, yes. coming to America. I, I you know, have, there's a wonderful museum uh, called the Tenants Tenants Museum. Uh, have you ever been there in Manhattan? No, I have not. You where must go that, there man? because it's an older building that was the a real a real a, a, a home of many people who came over to this country, and uh, and they they saved the building and they. Uh, kept the same furnishings or similar furnishings and wallpaper or, or what was in the kitchen, and, and they made it into a museum. And so you can go there, and the guide will tell you what family was there and um, who they were and what kind of children they had and how they survived in this America and, and where they yes. went to work and so forth. And it's a fascinating, uh, absolutely fascinating museum. And a lot more people need to know about that. So I, I strongly suggest when you have like a, a free Saturday or Sunday, you take a trip to the, the Tenants Museum down there uh, near Houston Street. You, you will find it an amazing afternoon. Wonderful. Thank you. I, I've never heard of it before, but I will put that on my must-see list, definitely. You know, I, I got to tell you, Lynn, that because they, they, they showed us the well in uh, in the backyard of this tenement building, that's the only source of their water. And they, they brought buckets up two, three, four flights of stairs for cooking and for washing and for bathing. And that was the only source of water. And also in the backyard was in a couple of outhouses, and that was the only source that they had. And so yeah. that was really rough going. And uh, you have to admire uh, especially with big families, to, to go through all of that, to stay in America and be an American. It, it's an amazing story. It is. It's true. We've come a long way, haven't we? Boy, have we. And, you know, to this day, sometimes I'll think of that and realize how lucky we are to have indoor plumbing, you know, and, to, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and so forth. And we can turn a, a faucet and hot water comes out. Uh, they had yeah. to – they had to uh, – uh, fireplaces, and they had to heat their water. Yes, 
It's true. So very, it's, very it's just true. Thinking, it's, a, it's an amazing place. And I, all of our listeners, please, if, when you're in Manhattan, take a look at that uh, incredible museum. Uh, they also have a library there with a, a, a huge amount of books on various uh, topics related to the uh, to the early uh, tenement dwelling and to the people and the families that came to America. And it's it's just eye opening. Now, let me see. Now, where are we here? Oh, I want, Len, I want to ask you, um, schooling-wise, um, you said you were in the, I believe, Air Force. Was that right? Yes. Uh, okay, and did you have schooling are, there? No, I'm sorry? Uh, did, did you have schooling when you were in the Air Force? Well, my initial schooling was uh, a Roman Catholic elementary school, of course. And we were taught, it was an eight-year elementary school, and we were taught by the so-called Sisters of St. Joseph. So ah. from, from kindergarten until graduating uh, from the eighth grade uh, was, was this Catholic education. And then after that, I went to uh, a public high school for four years. And then in, after graduating from the public high school um, at 17, I graduated a bit sooner, um, I then, uh, six months later, uh, enlisted in the Air Force with the uh, signature of my parents. I was underage, but uh, they d- did agree uh, that I, it was okay for me to join. So mm-hmm. beyond high school, I've taken college courses, but as I've indicated to you, I'm pretty much an autodidact, uh, and I wish it had been otherwise, but for me, I've been very fortunate as a single person to have exposed myself to all kinds of wonderful literature and subject matter. So in a way, I've made up for it, uh, but uh, I wish it had been otherwise. But as I will mention later, when we get into the work of Krishnamurti, uh, I feel that in actuality, I haven't lost too much, especially when you think of smartphones today, where where we fortunately have at our fingertips, at our fingertips, all the information we want, even just as a starting point. Uh, But that basically was the education uh, courses, uh, both while I was in the service and then after leaving the Air Force, I went to a city college for a brief period and uh, NYU uh, for a brief period, but I really never earned a degree per se. Well, it sounds it sounds as though, but you certainly made up for that uh, with your own energy and your own exploring. So, so good for you, and I, I hats off hats off to you for that. Uh, okay, uh, thank you for that. And so now let's get right into it. I am I've been looking forward to this all day, Len. And if you will give us a, a very brief summation uh, to begin with uh, about the uh, beliefs and teachings of Krishnamurti. Okay, firstly, I'd like to say very importantly that I do not claim to be an authority on Krishnamurti's teachings. That's very, very important for uh, everyone to know. Uh, Okay, fair uh, enough. Okay, Uh, so I will do my best. Now, I have here in front of me some things I've chosen that I could read. If you'd rather I not, uh, then I could just uh, do it impromptu. But I think it might be Well, I, I think it would be – yeah, I think for our, our listeners, I think that they would very much, and me included, like to hear directly from those writings, if you'd be so kind. Okay. 
And then All we right, can well, go, from there we can go into uh, uh, more about your take on things and so forth. Okay. I have in front of me what's entitled An Overview of Krishnamurti's Life and Work. And uh, I'll mention very briefly, he was born uh, 11 May 1895 in Madanapal, a small town in South India. Uh, he and his brother were adopted in their youth by Dr. Annie Besson, then the president of the Theosophical Society, which was first started by a wonderful human being, Madame Helena Petrovna Blavatsky. Some of your listeners may be familiar with her. Uh, Dr. Yes. Besson, uh, Dr. Bess, after uh, uh, Madame Blavatsky's death, Dr. Besson took over the Theosophical Society. Um, Dr. Besson and others proclaimed that Krishnamurti uh, was to be a world teacher whose coming the Theosophists had predicted uh, to prepare the world for this coming, a worldwide organization called the Order of the Star in the East was formed, and the young Krishnamurti was made its head. However, in 1929, Krishnamurti renounced the role that he was expected to play, dissolved the order with its huge following, and returned all the money and property that had been donated for this work. For, from then, for nearly 60 years until his death on 17 February 86, he traveled throughout the world talking to large audiences and to individuals about the need for a radical change in mankind. And here's where I can begin. And uh, at some, I, it's not too lengthy, but let me know when you'd like me to stop, uh, because there's some other reading I think is very, very important and extremely, extremely relevant to these current times of tremendous division and conflict and, and threats of nuclear war. Uh, I'll go on to read that Krishnamurti is regarded globally as one of the greatest thinkers and religious teachers of all time. He did not expound any philosophy or religion, but rather talked of the things that concern all of us in our everyday lives, of the problems of living in modern society with its violence and corruption, of the individual's search for security and happiness, and the need for mankind to free itself from inner burdens of fear, anger, hurt, and sorrow. He explained with great precision the subtle workings of the human mind and pointed to the need for bringing to our daily life a deeply meditative and spiritual quality. Krishnamurti belonged to no religious organization, sect, or country, nor did he subscribe to any school of political or ideological thought. On the contrary, he maintained that these are the very factors that divide human beings and bring about conflict and war. He reminded his listeners again and again that we are all human beings first and not Hindus, Muslims, or Christians, that we are like the rest of humanity and are not different from one another. He asked that we tread lightly on this earth without destroying ourselves or the environment. He communicated to his listeners a deep sense of respect for nature, his teachings transcend man-made belief systems, nationalistic sentiment, and sectarianism. At the same time, they give new meaning and direction to mankind's search for truth. His teaching, besides being relevant to the modern age, is timeless and universal. Krishnamurti spoke not as a guru, but as a friend. And his talks and discussions are based not on tradition-based knowledge, but on his own insights into the human mind and his vision of the sacred. So he always communicates a sense of freshness and directness, 
although the essence of his message remained unchanged over the years. When he addressed large audiences, people felt that Krishnamurti was talking to each of them personally, addressing his or her particular problem. In his private interviews, he was a compassionate teacher, listening attentively to the man or woman who came to him in sorrow and encouraging to heal themselves through their own understanding. Religious scholars found that his words threw new light on traditional concepts. Krishnamurti took on the challenge of modern scientists and psychologists and went with them step by step, discussed their theories, and sometimes enabled them to discern the limitations of those theories. Last paragraph. Krishnamurti left a large body of literature in the form of public talks, writings, and discussions with teachers and students, scientists and religious figures, conversations with individuals, television and radio interviews and letters. Many of these have been published as books and audio and video recordings. So that should give one a pretty good idea. Wow. He sounds like a man way, way ahead of his time, does he not? I mean, he... He's touching on such amazing subjects that are still burning issues in 2019. And uh, I can understand why you you have been following his work so closely. Uh, Boy, that's quite an amazing introduction to a a quite amazing man. It might be interesting also to the listeners to know uh, that when he dissolved the Order of the Star, Uh, these are some of his uh, comments. He said, truth is a pathless land. Man cannot come to it through any organization, through any creed, through any dogma, priest, or ritual, not through any philosophical knowledge or psychological technique. He has to find it through the mirror of relationship, through the understanding of the contents of his own mind, through observation and not through intellectual analysis or introspective introspective dissection again uh, boy those those uh, words speak uh, volumes um, it's, it's so they're so they're so succinct they're, they're so compact and they say so much yes oh uh, boy you're, so you're making me you're, you're you're absolutely wetting my appetite to uh, to go to the computer later on this evening and and begin uh, my process of of uh, learning much more about about him and his teachings. Uh, that's quite something. Yeah. Well, and, uh, did you say there was something else you were going to read? Yeah, this is from the back a jacket of a book entitled The Future Is Now, The Last Talks in India. Excuse me. <laughs> the Last Talks in India. But th- this is, is really quite potent here. In quotes, he says, we are supposed to have lived on this earth for a million years, and during that long evolution, we have remained barbarians. We may be cleaner, quicker at communication, have better hygiene, transportation, and so on, but morally, ethically, and if I may use the word spiritually, we are still barbarians. We kill each other not only in war, but also by words, gestures, Every country in the world, as you must all know, is gathering armaments. Every country, however poor, however rich, look at your own country, the immense poverty, disorder, corruption. You all know that. And the gathering of armaments. It used to be a club to kill another. Now you can vaporize mankind by the million with one atom atom bomb or neutron bomb. An immense revolution is going on, of which we know very little. 
The technological process is so rapid that overnight there is something new. But ethically, we are what we have been for a million years. You understand the contrast? Technologically, we have the computer, which will outthink, I'm sorry, outthink man, which can invent new meditations, new gods, new theories. And man, that is you and I, what is going to happen to our brains? The computer can do almost, almost anything that human beings can, except, of course, have sex or look at the new moon. This is not <laughs> some theory. <laughs> really, this is not some theory. It is happening now. So what is, go- what is going to happen to us as human beings, he asks. That's on, well, on the back of the that is that is that is absolutely right to the second of where we are yeah. right this minute, and yes. it's just incredible no, that he was he was thinking in those terms and 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 teaching and teaching those values to people. Again, I, I understand from what you said that he was embraced by a great many people in, in worldwide. Is that true? I'm sorry, I missed the beginning of your question. Uh, just that he was embraced by many peoples in many countries yeah. uh, during the course of his life. Yes, absolutely. And today, thanks to the Internet and YouTube, uh, there's just a plethora of uh, talks and dialogues. And uh, fortunately, uh, one particular person he dialogued with at great length was the late theoretical physicist, Dr. David Bohm. And uh, one particular publication, well, there are two that I can think of, but my favorite um, uh, is, uh, uh, let me see, I'm trying, all of a sudden I'm having, let me see, I can't think well, of Well, take your time, we're, we're good. Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, Dr. Bohm himself is responsible for a book called uh, Changing, uh, Changing Consciousness. Uh, and uh, Dr. Bohm, towards the end of his life, was interviewed, and he was asked, if you had to live your life over again, would you have gone into science? And very interestingly enough, Dr. Bohm's response was, no, I would instead have preferred to do just what we're doing now, exploring the human condition. And the book that I was unable to think of is called The Ending of Time. And it's, ah. a, 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 it's, it's about 16 or 17 dialogues between K, as he eventually uh, called himself, to keep it simple, K and Dr. Bohm. Uh, and so it's about 18 different dialogues. So amazing. So uh, when you think about things today in science that's such as zero-point energy, and when we think of the cosmic, which I know you and I love to sit down and talk about, uh, it's mm-hmm. all there the mind and the universe, uh, whether the brain cells can change, senility. Uh, it's, it's the, be- the beauty of Fay's work, and especially with Bohm, they, they were very, very simple. Uh, as a young man living at home, I remember my older brother would bring books home that I tried to read. I'd get cross-eyed trying to understand what the <laughs> author was saying. And here it's very, very simple, but incredibly profound language. Uh, just absolutely wonderful. Oh, uh, I couldn't agree with you more because, it, and also I got to say that right from the very first word, there's no ego anywhere in there at all. And I, Jesus had that same quality that there was no ego of any kind. And he was the, a, a servant of 
his fellow man. And that comes across so, so powerfully in what you're reading uh, of Christian Morty. Uh, it's really I, I, interesting you just mentioned that, and especially, especially mention Jesus, because another person that Kay dialogued with uh, was a professor, Alan uh, Anderson. He was a college professor at a university in California. I forget which one. But I vividly remember that in one of the dialogues with Kay, he said something that he said, uh, it's attributed to something Jesus had said, but is is not part of the canon uh, in the church. And it goes like this, that Jesus is supposed to have said, unless one makes their left right and their right left, and they're up, down, and they're down, up, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And Professor Anderson goes on to point out, by the kingdom of heaven, he didn't mean it necessarily as a uh, destination. It, it meant mm-hmm. more in the, here, in the here and now. In other words, a 180-degree turn. A 180-degree turn. You've been going north all your life, and with, with uh, an awakening, with... Uh, perception, with insight, uh, self-knowing, especially in line with the Socratic dictum, know thyself, uh, then it's the phoenix from the ashes, the phoenix, something, something brand new. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And, you know, there are times, uh, I think, that we all, if we're, if we're blessed with this, feel that we are sampling uh, a, a taste of heaven. Sometimes it's with someone that we we dialogue with. Uh, sometimes it's when we're in a particular place uh, that can happen. That something clicks in, and life is good, and it's simple but beautiful, and you feel love. And when that happens to to you, and I wish that everyone has that happen to them many many times in their life, um, you feel as though you are having heaven on earth that you do feel that that sense that it doesn't get better than this this is this is how we should be acting to each other as brothers and sisters Uh, this is how we should be projecting limitless love and the last thing we need to do is think about war or making war or or greed or or uh, just stashing money away for that rainy day and and just to heck with everybody else and uh, yeah. it, it's such a, a, a an 80, 180 degree turn when you have those moments in your life. And those are, I think, are the most valuable and the most beautiful and long lasting memories that you could possibly have. Yes. I, I should also mention extremely and vitally important with regard to Kay's work uh, is this matter of ego. Um I was in psychotherapy as a young man. I went to uh, a Freudian a therapist. I also mm-hmm. went to an Adlerian therapist. I went to, uh, actually, I was a patient of um, Albert Ellis, who was known for rational emotive therapy. And at that mm-hmm. time, I was going to therapy because I uh, embraced uh, the uh, uh fact what was presented as fact that the ego is a very real part of our psychological being and i I said what i just said i prefaced it the way i did because very very important extremely important to k's work is that the ego is actually false 
there really is no ego. What there is is simply psychological thought, and the ego is a construct of that. So we mm-hmm. are brought into thinking that there is this thing called ego. And, uh, of course, the problem is that in, with all respect to the psych- psychologists and psychiatrists, uh, basically uh, all that's really being done aside from medicating their patients is they are bringing about what they believe to be healthier egos. But the ego could never be healthy because the ego is nothing about, except fragmentation and division. And yes. that's, that's, the, that's the very essence of the problem on our planet, the fact that we are divided within ourselves, we are divided in our relationships outside of ourselves, both individually and collectively on the nationalistic level, religious level, racial level, and so on. So it's very, very important. And this is the thing I think that I was taken most with when it came to Kay's work, this matter of the ego being false. And it's an incredibly important thing to, to see and consider and understand because it eliminates this duality of having to fight against my egoistic behavior. Uh, suddenly, okay. you, don't have, you don't have that expenditure of energy because all you really then have is simply thought. It's, it's important to simply understand ourselves when it comes to psychological thought and that understanding so that uh, it, it can be actually dissolved uh, puts one in a state, uh, another dimension. Oh, well said. Well said, Lynn. And ego also sets up walls, walls that are you're up there and the rest are down there. And, and yes. it sets up a, a really a very troubling and a painful dynamic with others. And uh, I think the great teachers and certainly Kay would have to be considered one of the greats as, as well as Jesus and, and others that that there was not that ego at all, that they had completely uh, uh, shedded any, any ego at all if they ever did have any. And as a result, they're on the same level. They're on the same thought pattern as others, and they share their thoughts with others in a seamless way. And I think that people immediately sense that. And it's, it's a very powerful uh, dynamic that when you're with someone and and that dynamic is going on, you feel so comfortable with someone and and you can talk about anything and not be afraid. Yes, uh, you know, uh, so that ego ego is really an, an enemy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That ego is an enemy of I think of 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 good of good uh, relations of good thinking and of spirituality. Yes, there's a wonderful uh, quote of uh, Kay's that goes like this. When you are, love is not. When you are not, meaning when there's no ego, love is. It is simply, it's not that simple, but I want to say it's as simple as that. But of course, sometimes things can be so simple, they can be complex. But if it's possible for one to to keep it simple, we're, we're just, we're seconds away from, the cure-all when it comes to the human family. The absence of love is the problem on this planet. And, and of course, you can't have love. You, the ego is incapable of love. It's fraudulent. It's fraudulent. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's true. It really just sets that up. And then trouble happens because of that on all kinds of levels. And, and certainly 
unfortunately, we're seeing that in just every country, in every government, in, in people who have public trust, and then we find out that they betrayed that public trust uh, on so many levels, and we're always decimated to think that the, the people, the public servants that we thought were on our side really were on their own side. And, and yeah. that has been playing out uh, in the news for years and never more than right now. Would you, would you not agree? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just the same old thing over and over again for millennia, trying to change humanity from the outside in. Uh, say, even now, uh, with all respect to those who are trying hard to bring about a better world, and they might uh, find uh, what the left is talking about today as the best way to go, it's the same old, same old. Communism was an effort to change society from the outside in. The beauty of Kay's work is and I, I don't think he's unique. There must be others. But for me, no one has said it so beautifully and so simply. We, the only way we can bring about change is from the inside out. And that inside is this uh, program, this uh, 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 we, from the moment we are born, whoever is rearing us, for the most part, we are being programmed to be white, to be black to be Catholic, to be atheist, to be American, to be Russian, to, on and on and on. Nothing but division because uh, we've yet to see, although it's the mere fact that you and I are having this conversation, it's safe to say it's in the consciousness already. Uh, there's a wonderful book, uh, one of Kay's latest, later, later books is called The Future of Humanity. And basically, he's saying with Dr. Bohm, it's a conversation between the two of them again, uh, that we're racing against the clock. We don't know if we're going to make it. Uh, Dr. Bohm, when Kay had said that, uh, said, well, then what's the point of doing anything? He said, well, it's just the right thing to do. But I, I do feel very strongly that the more one seriously becomes seriously interested in this, uh, not selfishly, not just for ourselves, for, for our progeny. I'm not a parent, but all of those lives being born as we speak are our, our progeny. And, and uh, the future of humanity is very grim uh, the way it looks, unless, of course, enough people. And, and also, I might add, it doesn't mean it has to be uh, uh, thousands of people on a very, very uh, mystical level. Uh, and spiritual level, Kay points out, he says in the uh, ending of time in his conversations with Dr. Bohm, if there are only 10 X's, he referred to the map, if there are only 10 people genuinely interested in, in uh, changing society, beginning with ourselves, it can affect the whole of consciousness. It, it, it just spreads like wild, wildfire. And I have a very strong feeling that it's very, very true that we don't have to worry about converting people because that's where you and I, when we were together last week, I was really, as always, enjoying our conversation. And I was thinking about something profoundly beautiful that Kay and Bohm talk about in the future of humanity when it's, uh, they distinguish between mind and brain where generally we think of mind and brain as being synonymous in our language. 
But they were very, very careful, especially Kay, but Bohm agreed that my, uh, what's, what's in our skull is the brain. The mind is, is apart a, a from what, what's in our brain. The mind is really cosmic. You might even say it, it's related to the ground of all being. And that when that self is not there, it's a, there's a possibility that that ground can use us. It can use us for the good of this creation. I, I can't that do is, it. That is beautiful. That is so beautiful and I think so very true. Yes, yes. And I, you I feel too. that. You do, do feel yeah. that. And, and when you do, there's, there's a... It's almost electric that there's a connection that goes on, and if uh, those people who are lucky enough to have had that or will have that in their life feel that there's something wonderful, something united, something so spiritual and and deep, and and love would have to be a major part of that picture. That it's so seamless and so limitless, and it it yeah. breaks down all the walls. Again, all the walls That's come down. Uh, and, yes. and you just you're seeing people as 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 individuals and as human beings and as brothers and sisters, and that has got to be the basis of healing and the basis of lasting peace. That's right. That's right. I've, I've yeah. well, luckily in my life I've met some amazing people that uh, you you almost immediately know them. It doesn't take long before you realize that there's something quite wonderful, special, loving about these people. And when you come across them, it's, it's such an amazing experience. And you can also do that by people who are not here anymore, that are not living uh, here anymore, but you're, you're doing that by what they left behind. In this case, Kay's works and teachings yes. that he left part of himself for all of us. And uh, yes. you were one of those fortunate people who, Luckily, uh, uh, we're blessed by by stumbling on on his work, and that must have been quite a moment. I, I can imagine that that would be quite life changing. Yes, it 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 really was. I've never I've not been able to put him down from the first time I picked up. I have every single book that's ever been published, and more books that others have written about the teachings. Uh, now, may I ask how many books was was um, approximately how many books were, were left by Kay? Approximately uh, sixty plus, and then of really? course there are other yes, about approximately sixty books. Yeah, and then there are the collected works. Uh, of course, the the Krishnamurti Foundation of America uh, is, has been responsible in conjunction with uh, the uh, British, uh, the English Foundation. Uh, at Brockwood Park, uh, for the dissemination of the teachings. So we, where got, are they located, uh, Len? The, are they here in New York City? Uh, no. Um, the Krishnamurti Foundation of America is headquartered in Ojai, California, O-J-A-I, California. And uh, the, uh, the other uh, is uh, the Krishnamurti Trust, and they're located outside of uh, Winchester, which, by the way, I find interesting, is right near the crop circles that have been uh, talked about and uh, that have been going on there for some time. Uh, is Brockwood that right? Park. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very, very, so very have, interesting. Have you been to the um, Have you been to the facility in California? Did you ever have a chance to do that? 
Uh, I have been to California, but after Kay died, but I did have the good fortune of going to Zonen, uh, uh, Switzerland, outside of uh, in Zurich, outside of the city of Zurich, and I heard uh, Krishnamurti. Uh, that was in 1985. I, I attended one of his his talks. But Wonderful. Uh, to answer your question, I, so I've been to Ojai, to the KFA, and I've also been to Brockwood Park at least on three separate occasions uh, on a private retreat. Absolutely beautiful grounds, just uh, pastoral, just beautiful. May I ask when you saw him in person uh, giving a lecture, uh, tell, me, tell me about the atmosphere. Tell me, tell me what that, how, how you experienced that. What was that like for you? Uh, other people have said it, but I can honestly say uh, there must have been a couple of thousand in the tent, and uh, you could hear a pin drop. You could hear oh, a pin boy. drop. Yep, That's how awestruck that. everyone was. Uh, just <laughs> every word. And, and anyone interested, I can't help but think some of your listeners have uh, watched or listened to Kay on in YouTube, but uh, they can get a, somewhat of a taste of that. Of course, it's nothing like actually uh, being there. But uh, he was just such an, in, an incredible speaker. He spoke extemporaneously with such energy. Uh, and I think that was the thing. We were spellbound. We were spellbound uh, with uh, what was coming out of his mouth. Uh, some people think he was a channel. And I don't even think any of that really is important. What's important was what, what, what was coming out and how... Uh, uh, life-altering uh, what he has to say is. And, and I can't help but think as uh, bad as things may look at times, I, I'm hoping that it is having an effect. We don't know. We don't know. All we can do is uh, uh, work on ourselves and, and, and make a difference in our private and personal lives as we interact with each other. And uh, it could be, as the saying goes, small fires make a big blaze. But go, to go mm-hmm. back to your question, in the tent, in the tent, uh, occasionally you had some, um, if you'll forgive the expression, some oddballs, you know. But uh, for, for my two weeks that I was there, each week there were about three or four talks, and then there were it's a Q&A as well. Uh, uh, you, you, there was... It was just absolutely uh, so spiritual, so wonderful. And that, by the way, in connection with DNNY, which I greatly appreciate, especially you're making it possible for us uh, in New York City, uh, is when I had that experience of seeing this huge sphere over the wooded area where some of the uh, people attending the talks were camping out. It was at night. And I'll never forget it. Later, later, when I attended one of your meetings and you were asking about people had uh, experienced any kind of sighting and so on, uh, mm-hmm. I did have that experience at, uh, uh, when I was at uh, Sonnen, S-A-A-N-E-N, Sonnen, Switzerland. Whoa. Oh, boy. That doesn't get better than that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. I can't even begin to, to think what that would be like on so many levels for you then. Yeah, that, that that's yeah. awesome. That that really is an amazing. Yeah. A yes. couple of quick questions too. Was English his first language, and did he have other languages that he spoke? Uh, 
Uh, he was born in Madan Nepal, and the language uh, he spoke was called uh, is called Telugu. I believe it's T E L E G U. And uh, his father was a Brahmin. He was one of he was the eighth of eight children. Uh, oh. So the, the father was a Brahmin, but the mother they were very very religious. And the mother, when she was carrying him, it said. Uh, had this feeling that he was so special that she wanted to, and in fact did give birth to him in the uh, puja room, where you would never, ever think of a child being born. But now, he, now tell me what that puja room is, because I'm not familiar with that term. The puja room is the prayer room, where oh. the people of the Hindu religion go to pray. Okay. And it, it would never be thought of as a place to bear a child but <laughs> wow. the, mother, the, the mother just had this feeling he was special what how wonderful what a story that yeah. is yeah um did, yeah. did he wear robes I, I kind of picture him as wearing robes like gandhi and so forth is that pretty much true was he like no. that uh, no you see uh the uh, under dr Bessend. C.W. Leadbeater is the person who discovered him. He was clairvoyant. He was a psychic. He was able to read auras. Krishnamurti's uh, father was working for the Theosophical Society in Madras. The beach where Kay was walking with his brother Nietzsche was a beach called Adyar, A-D-Y-A-R. They were walking on the beach, and uh, C.W. Leadbeater, who was also, I think, a priest in the Episcopal Church, uh, saw Krishnamurti, and had, uh, when he saw him, he saw in awe the likes of which he'd never seen before. He was so taken with, and yet Krishnamurti was uh, uh, dirty. Uh, he even looked like he might have been retarded. Uh, he had a certain vagueness uh, and emptiness to him. Hmm. At that time, he was, well, yeah, but uh, it was because of lead. They were looking for uh, the world teacher. And so when Leadbeater came, because there had been a few others, but when Leadbeater came upon Kay, he felt this was the chosen one. And that's when they decided, because they had to get permission from Kay's father uh, to adopt the boy, but K Krishnamurti would not uh, uh, go along with it unless his brother Nietzsche can be with him. They were very, very close. So the two, of the bo the two boys were adopted and they were sent to the best schools. Krishnamurti was a very poor student. His brother Nietzsche excelled academically. Kay didn't. And that's why I alluded to that at the beginning of our conversation, because mm -hmm. I, I, in a way I think I was fortunate because I think I could have learned things that might have turned me off or made me very biased towards what Kay has to say, even though I respect all knowledge and I, I, I love to learn. For me, my only regret in life, and I shouldn't say regret, is that I didn't have the formal education I would have liked to have had. But if this is what I've gotten instead, so be it. It doesn't matter because, again, we're talking about something so profound, so religious in the truest sense of the word, to relink to the whole, as I had shared with you when we had uh, coffee last week. Uh, the, the true, one of the meanings of the word religion is to relink. We're all broken apart, to relink to the whole. And that whole is all our brothers and sisters, whatever they may be in the cosmos, I'm so fascinated with your work 
the way you are fascinated with what I'm sharing. I'm fascinated with what you're doing. And as you, when you talk about connecting the dots, that's the relevance I feel between what I'm sharing and what you're, what, what you're doing. Because when the time comes, it's going to be important that we are selfless creatures. Otherwise, we're going to have the same division and the same inevitable conflict that comes from division. So it's urgent. It's so urgent that we are peace-faring and uh, loving in the truth. Not the I. The I is incapable of love. But when that when that self-centeredness is gone, I believe that's that's love, intelligence, and compassion that I think is part and parcel of the entire cosmos. And I think that's why we're here. We are a product of that love, as I see it presently. And I think that's a powerful place uh, to conclude our journey for today. Uh, that was an awesome episode, and uh, I, I learned very much from it. And we touched on some very deep uh, uh, things that uh, should provoke uh, great uh, thought. Thank you very much, Len. You're very welcome, Hercules. It's been my pleasure. And Nick, I can't thank you enough as well. Uh, again, it's kfa.org. And uh, all the information one may want, well, they will find uh, in that website. Excellent. I will post Excellent. a link to it from uh, uh, Facebook as well so that uh, people can access it. Um, and well, Nick, thank you, thank you for hosting another for awesome show. Um, and uh, thank you for giving me many things to think about uh, tonight. Um, <laughs> I, We'll look forward to our next show next week and uh, have a wonderful evening. Love to all. Thank you. You, Love to all. You too. Thank you, Nick. I'll see you soon. Look forward to that. Thank you. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. We're going to hear David the Bards, Merlin and I, and then we'll be back for Unarian Revelations.
That was Dave the Bard's Merlin M.I. You are listening to Pride of Olympus, and I am your host, Hercules Invictus. Uh, Our next segment is Unarian Revelations, and our guests are Jack Appel and Kevin Kennedy from the Unarius Academy of Science. Tonight we'll be discussing channeling higher beings. Greetings and welcome, Kevin and Jack. Hello, Hercules. Hercules. Greetings back to you. 
Thank you. It was great to see you both in New York uh, not too long ago. Uh, um, I always look forward uh, to connecting, and this is the second time we've connected uh, uh, physically and in person. So uh, um, I'm looking forward to next year already. Yeah, it's always great. Yeah, it was really exciting to see, to see you guys and talk with you. The, the same here. Um, tonight, uh, who would like to start first? Uh, Kevin, if Kevin you want to try. Sure, sure, that's fine. That sounds fine. So, okay, um, awesome. You got a question? <laughs> I know you had a... <laughs> oh, I... Okay, I thought you were you were gonna uh, introduce something new into our conversation, but uh, no, I have plenty of questions. Uh, I don't think we'll be able to cover them all today, but we'll, we will try our best. Okay, now. Okay. Channeling is something that is uh, very important in Unarian uh, spirituality, and uh, a lot of the um, material that has been recorded and preserved uh, is uh, channeled material, and uh, so I'm curious. What was your first personal encounter with uh, channeling? And we'll start with Kevin today. Well, um, there's two different there's things that when, I, when that question is asked that come to me. Uh, my first experience with channeling uh, was actually watching a, one of the channels at Yanarius sit down in front of a class and allow these higher intelligent beings to come through his consciousness. And it's something I'd never experienced before. I, and, and I contacted Nares when I was very young, 18 years old. So it was, um, you know, it was just such an incredible experience. And then as that contact uh, went on, just feeling the incredible um, intelligence and love and, and just up, upliftment in my consciousness uh, was amazing and, and still is when, when it happens. Uh, but at that point in time, it was just um, overwhelming almost because it was just such a new experience for me. And then, uh, you know, I had already begun my studies, but it just gave me that much more impetus to, to try and learn as much as I can and work out as much as I could because I, I saw in that, I said, well, you know, this is something that, as Unarius teaches, every one of us can do. And I just thought, wow, I really want to be able to, to do that, to be able to feel this incredible sense of oneness and peace and contact with these higher intelligent beings. So then, uh, as, as Unarius uh, does and has done, uh, in one of the events that we had probably a year or so later, um, mm-hmm. as I was involved in a little skit uh, and was uh, portraying a uh, higher being uh, talking to a student, uh, uh, in, in the midst of that it, this uh, incredible contact took place that I had no idea in my conscious mind was going to happen, but uh, it was such a beautiful and um, amazing um, connection with, with you know, this infinite mind. Uh, and afterwards, um, you know, it, it immediately I knew something else was going on besides just me. And everybody involved in the skit knew, oh, this is not just playing anymore. This is something where there's this real intense contact with this higher intelligence source. And uh, it was uh, incredibly powerful. And immediately afterwards, I had just what we term in Unarius an intense uh, washout. And uh, as Uriel told me at the time, 
you know, the brothers got you on these machines on the inner because I was just shaking. And uh, immediately after that, uh, felt this um, so much of, of my insecurities and, and feelings of in, inade- inadequacy just fall away. So it was, wow. it was an intense and uh, overwhelming experience, uh, one that I spent years after that trying to understand and still do, trying to understand what the total implication of it was, why it happened. Um, but I do know that uh, once it did, as I said, uh, my life and my mind and my consciousness were never the same. And uh, so it was, it was incredibly powerful. Um, it was just this amazing, you know, if you want to call it that spiritual kick to the head, where I just was, mm-hmm. I was, um, realized at that moment in time, you know, which I did, you know, I knew Unarius was real. I knew that this concept of, of higher intelligent beings were, were, was real. Um, but it just took it to such a whole new level that, um, it opened up a lot of, um, spiritual and psychic doors for me. Wow. That is, that is profound and, uh, powerful. And, uh, as you were, uh, um, sharing that, uh, I was thinking back on the countless uh, Unarius films I've seen, uh, where y- you are indeed a very young man uh, when these uh, you know, films, uh, when you started appearing in these films, uh, and uh, um, it shed like new light on the, the growth that you can see by watching these uh, films. So thank you. That was awesome. Well, thank you for allowing me to share it because it's, it, it's it was and and regenerates in my consciousness as we do this. So it's really I, I enjoy being able to to um, express again because uh, in, in doing that and talking about it, I'm actually so much more grateful for the healing that I've had. So I love it. Love being able to share. Um, thank you very much. And Jack, how about you? We we spoke about this a little bit at uh, the expo. You've had uh, quite a uh, transformation through the experience of channeling as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. My Celeste, my wife says uh, that she married somebody else. <laughs> I, like, I like I like that. That's why I say that. But uh, you know, it's because it's changed me so much with all, with uh, the information that's come through. But uh, yeah, my my first encounter, I gotta say uh, that it was any that really left an impression on me was when I came to visit you in the areas uh, while I was living on the East Coast, and mm-hmm. uh, the people doing class at that time when they were uh, working, you know up front they would they were channeling when they were bringing the information through to the class and it was mm-hmm. something that you know you knew when you heard the, the, the what was coming out you know the intelligence was there and definitely way up you know it was all this wonderful spiritual concept coming out and and the other thing that was really what took me was the fact that you felt something almost you know like it's not physical but oh, it was in a, an upliftment, you know, just a, like a beam, you know, a power, and then you'd be transcended afterwards, and uh, very different. I never felt that before anywhere else. So that definitely made an impression. Yeah. And it kept you out in California too. You eventually left the East Coast and uh, moved to the West Coast so that you could be uh, closer to this. Yeah, it was experiences like that that. that made me actually change my mind because when I first came, I thought it was only to visit. And, uh, 
I think I was only here uh, two or three days, and I was already looking at the paper to find out what what it costs to live here and what jobs look like. (laughs) 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 When I went home and made plans to come back, and I did. (laughs) Now I've been here almost 30 years. Wow. Um, Now, thank you, both of you, for uh, sharing that. And uh, uh, I'm going to ask now, in terms of your experiences with channeling, uh, do you consider it a talent or a gift? Uh, well, well I, I consider it an, a natural part of any, anybody. It, and, mm-hmm. and this is something that Unaries teaches uh, that I appreciate um, so much is that it's not, it's not a, a, a gift at all. This is something that anybody should develop and can develop is this contact with these higher intelligent beings. Now, that being said, um, whether people, anybody understands it or not, we're constantly in contact psychically with other beings. Now, the difference is, is what level they are on, what frequency, what intelligence are they carrying, what are they about in their consciousness. So, uh, so the reality is that whether we understand it or not, every one of us are channeling at any given point in time either something from a higher place, our higher self, or we're, quote-unquote, channeling or in alignment with something of a lower nature. So uh, what we want to learn to do and what Aries teaches through these um, lessons that are available to anybody uh, is how to discharge the mental blocks that we have and change the bias of the um, psychic shocks that any and all of us have gone through through many civilizations. And when we do that, we're going to allow this more intelligent information to come through our consciousness because we're going to be more receptive to a higher frequency. And this is a never-ending stairway, if you will, of of learning and being able to then channel something of of even more clear information and uh, intelligence. So... um, it's. I wouldn't even say it's a talent or or a gift. I would say it's a development of consciousness. Okay. And uh, it, it's something again that that we all should be striving for. It's a mu- it's a muscle in our consciousness that because we haven't learned about and don't understand, we never developed it. But uh, once we can open up our mind to to the idea that these higher intelligent beings are working with every one of us. Now we can start putting credit where credit is due when something really positive comes through our mind and consciousness. And it's not just in sitting down and, and verbally allowing these, these beings to come into our minds and, and through our mouths to out, you know, give a message that this idea of channeling happens when somebody is writing music, when somebody's painting, mm-hmm. when somebody is, you know, dance, uh, sculpture, whatever, baking a cake. Uh, you know, there's just, so many different levels to being aware of, of and being open to these this higher intelligent help that's available to every one of us. And that is a resource that, uh, because of our beliefs, uh, uh, we don't take advantage of, even though it is there for everyone. Absolutely, and and I love um, and I've seen it happen in my day to day life, where you know even in in work and doing things just to make a living and, and pay the bills uh, upon a problem that, you know, at the moment may seem insurmountable and just being able to sit back and relax and say, well, you know what, the answer is going to come. I know 
I'm getting this help and seeing it happen. Uh, yeah. And uh, I know every student, every student has gone through that and, and learning to, to allow that um, wonderful information and, and touch of spirit to come forth in, into, into our everyday life. So it's, it's really just being aware and open to the inspiration. Thank you very much. Wouldn't you Jack? say Zach? Yeah, uh, I would say I gotta agree. It's it's a development, but uh, you know, with Unarius, I've been a student since 1988. But that was uh, on the East Coast. I was here in 1990, and one of the things that we always do is, uh, and, and it's been since day one, is encourage people to get their own information and you know, to sit down and try and learn how to do this for themselves. So. So I got to say that I went through a, a, a pattern or a pass. Uh, pattern's the wrong word. Uh, and, uh, you know, I always admired what I, what I saw when I saw somebody that got up front and turned into the higher, the higher realms and brought through a brother. And the information was just blow mind and the power was making my socks roll up and down. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I just said, wow, I just want to do that so bad. But, uh, you know, so I had a motivation to want to learn how to do it, and uh, so we did little, you know, things like we would start in class, you know, with writing things down and uh, trying to see, you know. But the the cool thing about when I first got here is, uh, you know, Uriel and Taris, who are, you know, highly developed, and Uriel is a very highly developed spiritual being, uh, were still here. So what we would, uh, you know put whatever we did down on paper and, and, and send it up to Uriel and Terrace and they would, you know, ha- they had the development to tune in and see if we were, we were doing something from our subconscious or if we were really contacting a higher place. And so we would learn that way that, okay, this is what, you know, like, for example, I, I did one once and I got told, no, you're reliving something because you're always saying this rep- rep- repetitious word here. You know, you were living, uh-huh. giving orders when you were a supervisor back in Orion, you know. And uh, so, you know, they helped you in that way to, to recognize that, you know, okay, now I see a path there that's stopping me from bringing in something higher. And uh, and then uh, there's a couple other elements that I, that I had with me specifically. Uh, one of the things was, you know, I know I've had a past with electronics and working with a computer and mm-hmm. uh, implants and things that were – actually in you know used by people to get information from the computer and i was in class one night and it was we were listening to something and uh i had been looking for why i had a sore neck i mean i had a really tender back of my neck couldn't lay on it i had to basically like get a pillow that didn't touch that part of my neck and you know it was it was that tender for a couple of years but there was really nothing like wrong in there at the time uh but in class i was given a little picture by the the brothers who were always helping us of a, an implant that was in my neck. And when, when I saw that and also, you know, the brothers gave me a big number, you know, I've always been fortunate enough to see like you know, little pictures, that, you know, in that third eye part of your mind, I guess. And uh, uh-huh. when I saw this, when I saw this big number of millions of, it, it, you know, I just knew from because they were helping me to, to understand this that that number meant how many people I affected with my work on that implant, and then I realized that, that I had done work to develop this implant, and then that implant left. You know, psychically, I mean, I was like freed up of that past, and that because I was still 
uh, having that the effects of that implant. Now, what, what I'm what I'm leaving out, and I got to tell you, is that it, this implant was used to give people information, so it prevented folks from using their own consciousness to get the uh-huh. information. It was blocking off their inflow from their higher self or any abstract reasoning or whatever else like that. It was just giving them road information from a computer. So right after this thing uh, you know, happened to me in class where I realized this stuff, uh, that's when it, I started a, being able to do a higher level of bringing information. And that's what really was the, the, the beginning of me learning how to do readings because you know, I started out getting information from myself. And previous to that, it was very limited, a few sentences. Then it started coming much more. And, you know, it was just a, a really interesting experience to be opened up by realizing that, that there was a past in play that was blocking my consciousness off. Wow. Um, and, uh, and, and then that, that was just the beginning. And then, of course, going through the years, there's always other things that I've, you know, I've had to realize. And then there's another element that that I was told uh, by uh, uh, Terrence that he's, uh, I don't know if you're familiar much with uh, him, but he's been gone almost 20 years now. But he uh, used to run the center after Uriel yes. passed into spirit. And he worked with me. You know, he was my mentor and basically really worked with every single reading I did for for years to help me learn how to get you know, the differentiate between, you know, what you're bringing through from your subconscious or from the past versus, you know, connecting to the higher, to the brothers and bringing something through like that. And uh, what he also mentioned to me that with when it comes to that, it's something that I had previously set up to do in this lifetime to work out my past to, to bring this through. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of elements to it, you know. And yeah, everybody's there's on their own layers and layers of And uh, you brought up some important uh, points uh, that uh, the purpose uh, in Unarius is for you to trust your own source and to get information directly from uh, uh, from higher realms. Um, but there's also a learning process involved because uh, um, you you don't know initially, for the most part, uh, how to distinguish the. Uh, uh, the voice from on high from the voice of your thoughts. And uh, with well, me, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, one of the real, inter- uh, well, I call it real interesting, but it's, it's, it's real obvious, especially if you're a unary student. One of the things I've noticed that if, if something comes through to, to boost your ego, it's not right. <laughs> it's not from the right place. You know, the, okay. the others come through with things that, inform you about the past and educate you. But one of the things I've noticed is I always feel like I've been experienced by something much bigger than myself, much more intelligent. And because of that, it does anything but boost the ego. It just makes you feel humble. And uh, yeah. And that's a key element to me. If I, if I don't really feel humble when I'm doing something, then I have to uh, get my consciousness tuned up to the right place. And it's not. <laughs> eventually you do learn to distinguish uh, your own subconscious or relivings uh, from that voice from on high. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. That would be one of the key things as well as does the information help you that's coming through. 
I mean, uh, you know, and I'm talking about contacting, you know, higher beings. It's one of the things I, I've heard of for all, throughout the years is, you know, you, why would you want to contact, you know, the, the garbage guy next door and not putting down anybody that does that for a living, but just, well, you know, why wouldn't you want to contact Einstein's higher self? <laughs> you, know, uh-huh. you know, you want to do that or, or, or Yogananda or so many other folks who've had the uh, experience to contact with, you know, rather than you know, just finding out somebody, you know, who's uh, lived on the earth life and, you know, in other words, you want to take advantage of this. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful thing that that can happen, and, and you can really benefit from it because the information is going to move you, you know, forward in, in your pathway. You know, on your evolu- on your personal evolution. So uh, that's why we yeah, we've learned over the years that how important it is to focus and you know have the discernment to understand the difference between contacting something from your past and versus not. Yeah, a higher being, in other words. Thank you, Jack. Okay. Kevin, anything to add to what Jack said, or to uh, to further uh, uh, add more layers to it? Well, it, it. I mean, he just really touched on it, and this is the the vast difference between uh, somebody who um, just sits down and says, "Okay, I'm going to contact the other side," uh, without the real understanding of the mechanics of their own consciousness and what their motivations are, and um, what their, you know, the, the past uh, that are influencing them and biasing their consciousness. Uh, and this is, this is such an important aspect to this idea of, and consciousness of channeling, is that until the soul, until a, a student of truth really begins to change the bias of these pasts that are influencing them, influencing us, um, they're not going to be able to really touch that higher source or, or the beings that they are in contact with won't be from the highest because you see, there has to be that open pathway and that pathway comes from a consciousness that is clean. And so if, if you're still muddied up with all the insecurities and inhibitions and problems and unresolved tasks, angers and resentments, um, and, you know, violence or whatever else anybody has gone through, uh, you know, that that forms a particular frequency in your consciousness. And so this is, this is why it's so vitally important uh, to understand anybody who wants to channel and, and really wants to do something that's going to be a benefit to humanity and to their own overcoming is that it really starts, as, as Jack was saying, and with all of us uh, as students to learn how to, Take the day-by-day uh, problems that we're encountering and learning how to go within and get the real answers as to why, you know, maybe our work situation isn't as good as it should be. Why maybe our spouse or, or partner, uh, we're having issues there, having resentments or arguments that are coming up. So all these things are clues to past that we have to resolve. And then once we begin to discharge those negative experiences that negative content of information and repolarize it in our higher self, now now we're going to be able to really be able to contact and be open to this real higher source. So as as Jack and I have, and I know you have as well, Hercules, been to so many different psychic events or, or psychic fairs or expos mm-hmm. or whatever, um, you, you learn to, if you if you begin your studies and, and really 
get yourself get in yourself touch with this higher frequency, you learn to be able to see what is going on around with different souls who, who want to bring something of, of truth to the world, but they haven't quite yet um, resolved the, the, the barriers from their own consciousness uh, to, to really allow them to have that real freedom and love. And, and that's really, you know, love and intelligence. When you're really in, t- in, in contact with these higher beings, that is what really uh, helps distinguish whether or not, you know, it's, it's truth. Um, so, uh, you know, it's just, there, there's this, as you said, so many layers to this. But really, uh, the first layer is working our own karma out, working out the insecurities and inhibitions that we are still carrying around with us. And, and once we do that, now, now we can really begin the, the process. The natural outcome, actually, is being able to channel uh, and and see that creative expression in our day to day life. And um, that is phenomenally powerful, uh, especially since uh, Unarius does not consider itself a religion but a spiritual technology. And uh, for those who may scoff at such a notion, I'll share a couple of uh, personal and and a a bit more mundane stories. Um, One is meditation. I've learned uh, over the years, and it took me a while to really uh, um, become able to do it uh, very quickly, uh, but I've learned that if I spend uh, 20 to 40 minutes a day, usually at the beginning and the end, um, quieting my mind, um, a lot of the negative chatter that uh, plagues a lot of people is absent. And uh, most people I've spoken to have this uh, negative uh, chatter going on all the time. Uh, so I'd ask them to try to imagine what it would be like if that was gone. And not that you won't have a negative thought ever, uh, but you won't have them repeatedly and loudly and all the time. So that is a technique. It's a spiritual technique Um, And uh, this is not a technique uh, of the magnitude of uh, what uh, Kevin and Jack are describing, but it is something that um, anyone can get information on and and experiment with and try for themselves. And uh, today uh, I was uh, uh, at a uh, library hosting an event, uh, and I shared this. I'll share it again uh, here because, again, this is a mundane um, story, uh, and it's just to show you how powerful lowest and most accessible uh, levels. Um, I have, uh, I'm eccentric. I'm very different in the way I uh, look, the way I behave, the way I think. Um, And if you're living in a culture that is uh, clearly defined as ours, that could be a problem uh, sometimes. And uh, because of the way we're conditioned, you are taught to beat yourself up, you know, in these ways that you're different and you try to conform um, I remember because I was able to write with uh, both hands that I often got my hands smacked with rulers when I was growing up because they didn't want you to write with your left hand. You had to write with your with your right hand. Um, and uh, I read a book by Tom Hartman uh, called The Different Perspective. And uh, I don't know if that's the exact title, but he showed how some minds, 
in, in our culture was a very small number, less than 10%. Uh, their brains functioned uh, differently in a more primitive way, but ironically in a more advanced way as well. So this primitive way, uh, which uh, served hunter-gatherers, is now uh, very helpful in the information age as well, whereas the majority of people in our society, uh, they were conditioned and lived in a more farming model. Um, so once I learned how my, why my brain was doing the things it did, it no longer became a problem or a condition. It became, this is like an owner's manual to my brain. And uh, there were like some cyclothymic aspects to it. I learned to use them. And not that my life became easy or free from challenges. Uh, um, it didn't. But my ability to live life was greatly enhanced uh, because now I knew how my brain worked. So I didn't need to beat myself up anymore or try to change my brain. The brain is an instrument, and I was able to effectively use it. So um, I'm sorry I'm taking up this much time, but it's just that these are simple, mundane examples of the profound effects you can have by learning how you work and then doing some work uh, towards uh, improving yourself, towards opening yourself uh, up more to cosmic things. So uh, the techniques that my fellow Unarians have shared um, – these are of a much greater magnitude, so the effects, if you put the work into them, will be much more profound. And now we're back to Kevin. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, this is something that um, Uriel helped us with over and over again. Is, is again, uh, you're, you're talking about developing, and, and Jack said, and Terry's work with him and his readings, uh, is, is you have to give yourself an opportunity whether it's uh, painting or music or writing, uh, but uh, give yourself that opportunity to express from your, your higher self or be open to mm -hmm. your higher self and these spiritual beings that are working with every one of us. And as Uriel says to me numerous times, hey, you know, every painting isn't going to be a masterpiece. Don't think that way. But if you don't give yourself that opportunity to, you know, sit quietly and open your consciousness uh, and, and see what happens, whether it's on a canvas or in music or, you know, channeling or writing a book or whatever. It's not, it, you're not going to develop it. You're not going to learn. So, um, yeah, it, 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 there's so many different, as you said, layers to this um, process on how to learn. Uh, you know, you, but the first thing is you have to take that step. You, you can talk about riding the bike, you know, all you want, but until you get up on the bike and do it, you can't, you know, you're not, you're never going to learn. So the same thing with, with learning how to channel is, is giving ourselves that, that opportunity to express from the higher. Yes. Thank you. Um, Jack. Yes. Um, one of the things you got to, I think it would be a real benefit if you want to start you know, for anybody that wants to start doing this is, uh, and what we've had to learn over at Unarius here is that you have to understand that the, when you're first starting, you have to be open. You know, you have to understand it's not you're not going to come through and be an expert. It's like anything. You know, you start taking baby steps, and then it goes from there. And uh, that's one of the things that is what's so beneficial about the way it happened to, to me here at Unarius because I was – shown basically what 
how to do it by somebody who really knew how to. And, uh, yeah, uh, and, I, and I gotta reiterate that fact that if something comes through, and you know, there's so much of that out there. Like, where people get get a reading and they say, "Oh, I know what my purpose is." You know, I got told I was a, a teacher. I'm gonna change the world. You know, it's all ego boosting stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. now, that, even if it's true, <laughs> you know, all the masters, everything in Unarius, all the brothers that we talk and contact with and who have come through and you know help create the books that we have here that are they're all say the ego is uh, the enemy you know it's that the you're all call it the personal betrayer uh public you know the personal enemy number one uh-huh. because it's not it, because it's not an, a substitute for intelligence you know it's a, when you think you know something or you have an idea about it, you're really closing yourself off to new information. So having that humble attitude is, is such a key. It really is the, the thing that I think will make a difference between being able to do it successfully or not. Right? No, that's very true. Uh, and uh, all of the spiritual work, if you're consistent with it and you do it long enough, uh, does lead to humbling <laughs> realizations, uh, and uh, I'll share some of those another day. But uh, it does keep you humble if uh, uh, the experience is real, uh, and not humble in the sense that your soul gets beaten down. Uh, but uh, you you see a truth, and once you see that particular truth, your entire existence changes uh, because you have a new perspective and see things uh, more clearly than you did before. True. Uh, And Unarius uh, teaches personal responsibility. We're responsible for ourselves, for our reality, uh, and uh, everything. And that is something that I truly admire about Unarius, and that is something that is very rare in our world. We live in a world where people generally pass the buck and blame other people. Um, so uh, if you're responsible for your uh, spiritual growth, um, instead of listening to a guru, uh, that is a major freedom. Uh, many people give up their, their, their freedom to think and to explore and, as you said, to cultivate their own gifts, uh, um, to be enthralled. Uh, to uh, people or systems that want to manipulate them. So it's very refreshing that Unarius um, actually liberates. Well, you know, that, yeah, you know, yeah. that factor of uh, taking personal responsibility is, is so important that you really won't progress forward on your, on your spiritual pathway if you don't take responsibility for what you are now and being a product of your past lives and everything that you've done, thought, felt is all being re-expressed now. So, yeah, and, and, it, and you're right. It is a difficult thing to do when you're so used to, you know, grow up, well, at least I was, uh, grow up blaming everybody else for everything that was wrong. And then they, you come to find out, you know, it's it's you. <laughs> yes. And we've had countless proof that when you ex- do that or learn that, uh, mindset basically to take responsibility and you can see some things change and you know, I'm sure we have lots of examples, but uh, I guess for brevity, you know, I'll just say that you can definitely see it, the change in your life when you take a responsible 
personal responsibility for some past situation. It'll change it. Thank you. you know, yeah, it, it's so true, Jack. And um, one of the things that, that separates what Unarius has and, and really helps us in this process of learning how to channel is the library itself is channeled from these higher intelligent beings. So by our studies, we are putting ourselves in contact with this uh, very intelligent, loving, higher source. And in that process uh, as well, uh, you begin to understand and feel the difference in frequency or, or uh, awareness when you're in contact with a, a more intelligent, higher source. And so um, by our studies and applying what we're studying in our lives, which we, we keep saying over and over again, but it's, it's so valid and so true, but by our studies, we're putting ourselves in rapport with a higher intelligent source because those books were channeled from those interdimensional, interdimensions or inner planes of light. So um, it's kind of like, you know, if you, if you don't have the right phone number, you can dial away and dial away and dial away, and you're not going to get to the right source. So Unarius uh, has these wonderful volumes of, of information that were channeled by more intelligent beings that came to Earth to bring this knowledge. And so as we study, that's our, that's our phone number. That's our, that's our connection. That's our direct line. And, uh, you know, it's, it's what helps us so much in, in learning how to uh, develop our own consciousness and, again, put us in rapport with these more intelligent beings. You know, there's a wonderful um, truth to, to life, uh, and it goes something along the lines of, you know, show me your five closest friends and I'll tell you exactly who you are. Uh-huh. And really, really, uh, to me, you know, four of my five closest friends are right in the volumes of Unarius because as I'm studying, they, these higher intelligent beings that are channeling, and, you know, whether it's uh, Mary or, or John the Baptist or Einstein or whomever comes through in these different texts, they become uh-huh. my best friend. And that's, and that's a wonderful thing because now I, I'm putting my consciousness in rapport with the highest part of that soul as well in learning. So um, this, you cannot overstate how important this channel is and, and getting your consciousness plugged into this higher intelligent information. And that is a profound uh, truth. And uh, I would like to do a show just on that uh, one day uh, because there too, you're, what you're letting go of, a lot of people think that when you uh, seek these higher beings or your highest uh, expression, your highest self, uh, as it's sometimes called, uh, you lose uh, uh, yourself. You know, you disappear somehow or you become a puppet of higher forces. And it's not like that at all. You realize that these higher expressions are who you truly are. And if, you, if your consciousness is there, uh, then your relationships will be with other higher vibrational uh, beings the same way here. They're, they're, you know, if your um, best friends are uh, incarnate souls, then your life will be one of uh, incarnate uh, souls, and you'll live the dramas repeatedly until you learn the lesson, and, and that particular drama ceases, and then you have another one that will happen you know, uh, to, to preoccupy right. your attention. Right, and that's one of the... One of the wonderful things wonderful about, things about, um, about um, the spiritual, the spiritual truth, truth is you can step off the um, 
you know, wheel, the karmic wheel, or, or the, you know, the, the, what do you call it, the little chipmunk flywheel yes. that they run around mm-hmm. in. And you can step off of that and, and start to really engage in uh, the, this higher information, higher intelligence, and, and learn to see life from a much broader perspective. And the perspective is uh, broader, deeper, and much more uh, profound. And it uh, it shows you life in a totally different uh, life. And if you know it's all you and you're projecting and experiencing your projections, life becomes a mirror that shows you where you are. And you could change yeah, where absolutely. you are. So awesome. Jack? Yeah, you know, I, was, I just kind of thought I might be backtracking a bit, but when we were talking about the books being channeled, uh, I, I thought you know, we, we could have said that our first experience with channeling was reading one of the books from Unarius because uh, and I, I had an experience reading something, the very first uh, literature I got from Unarius you know, so long ago, uh, I had a profound experience with uh, being beamed and the power and uh, there was no incubation period. <laughs> I, I, I just remember that within hours and you know, waking up and having this tremendous experience of these just being so transcendent more than I ever was, and it was the, a, a significant change. That was that that was a pivot point in my life, where I just knew, and and that that this is something that I didn't know at the time I was going to be uh, as de- you know dedicated to it as I was, but. It just had that kind of effect on me. It was a super high frequency experience I, I never had before in this lifetime, and it just made an impression on me. And I just it felt like I finally found some peace. You know, uh, there was a, a lot of questions. Of course, you know, when you're seeking something spiritual, there's a reason for it. You know, they, I had questions of what is, what am I doing? This is like. I'm stuck in a loop like the movie Groundhog Day. I felt that's what my whole uh-huh. life was. I, you know. <laughs> and so getting this, uh, you know, this spiritual inflow, you know, was, was very much needed, by the way. I just was, uh, I, it was a, I was a welcome recipient of it. And uh, it's uh, so true that these books have that power from, from a higher being, from a, or many higher beings, and that, uh, you know, they look like a book, and they have, mm-hmm. you know, they're made out of the normal stuff, but there's a power that comes through that information. You're tuning back in to, you know, so you're in effect being a receiver of information when you're reading this book because you're getting things beamed to you. And when I say things, it's not just, you know, a, a, a beam, a ray beam of love. It's it's information. It's uh, things to help you later. You know, there's there's a lot of unseen elements in this power that I'm trying to understand and learn. And that's why I don't say too much more about it. But other than I know that, you know, there's love and information as well as, you know, help for past lives and answers to questions you have. And it it seems like a lot, you know, to get from just reading a book, but those of us that have done it for years know that that's really what happens. We've experienced uh, the, the results and there's been all kinds of wonderful uh, experiences people have with you know, seeing lights and reading things and uh, having wonderful dreams and having 
changes occur because of this information that, that, that came through. So anyway, yeah, I had to get that out. Well, thank you for getting that out. Those were very important uh, points. And, and we're, we're covering some of the same topics, uh, you know, more than once, certainly, but we're looking at it from different perspectives. And uh, the way I view it, it's like a, a layers in an onion, you know, just uh, looking at it from different perspectives, like the folks in the story who are touching the elephant and describing it differently. Uh, and then, uh, you know, again, like layers in an onion, there's, there's always another layer, there's always another doll inside the doll. And this helps uh, in, it helps me, I know, in uh, getting a wider perspective and in uh, considering things I might not have uh, thought about before. Uh, so uh, uh, these conversations and also the information in the books, you're right, the books look like books and they, they uh, behave like books to a certain degree, uh, but they actually link you to other planes. Uh, and uh, the images that come into your mind uh, while you're reading the books uh, they become portals to the places that that uh, you're reading about. And it's an amazing uh, type of experience. And for those who haven't allowed themselves to uh, explore those possibilities, it, it sounds uh, fantastical or, or, or strange, but it, it, it's really, really awesome. Yeah, and, the, and it's, it's actually a science, you know, uh, it, it's, a, it's a higher frequency that's being beamed to you when you read because you're, Becoming mentally t- attuned to the higher realms when when you read the information in the books, and uh, you know another thing I, I I need to mention is that that is how I you know raise my consciousness up from my regular daily workaday world to be able to bring through some information because I've been fortunate enough to do readings when folks request readings for help or assistance in any way here at the American Center and. Uh, I have to study. I sit down and study some some of these wonderful teachings, and they they uplift me, clear my consciousness out, and, and then I'm able to contact the right place and do some good, hopefully some very good information to help a person. Thank you, and I'm going to ask you both this question, and we're nearing the end of our, our journey. Uh, for those who want to start uh, channeling and uh, who've uh, listened to our words and they know that there's many different levels that need to uh, become aware of different shifting states so that you know uh, where the being that you're talking uh, to is most likely coming from and so forth. Uh, How would somebody uh, start, aside from paying attention to their inner self and and writing things down or doing other creative uh, forms of expression? Well, Well, I think I I mentioned uh, when I talked about, excuse me, when I mentioned uh, reading a book, <clears throat> you know, uh, that's what I, I would recommend. Uh, I kind of already went through it, but, uh, you know, that's what lifts your consciousness. You, you know, something to change your consciousness to, to, to the higher, you know, to change, you know, we always call it change the channel, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, channel 3300 or something rather than channel one. You know, uh, you, you need to raise your consciousness because the, there, there's almost no one on the on this earth plane that that is walking around with their mind tuned up to a higher consciousness or a higher realm <laughs> on a continual basis. So you have to have that little boost you know, from from the brothers to get you in the in the right place mentally. Thank you, Jack. Kevin, I couldn't agree more. Uh, the first. 
step for anybody who really wants to be put in contact with a, a truly higher intelligent source um, could not do anything better for themselves uh, than going to the Inarius Library and beginning to study uh, and put themselves in contact with this, this, the channel, with this incredible you know, higher channel of information. And in doing so, um, I have seen over and over and over again uh, different students do amazing things because they put themselves in rapport with this higher information, these, these higher beings on the inner planes of light. And, um, you know, whether it was somebody who's never drawn before doing an amazing painting to uh, somebody who plays music doing something that was just above and beyond uh, their wildest dreams, and myself included, uh, some of the paintings that I was fortunate enough to get, you know, the little monkey mind Kevin out of the way and allow this higher information to to express. Uh, You know, you stop the painting and I'd look at it and go, wow. This is incredible, um, and knowing that it came from a different source. But the the, the start is to um, put one's consciousness in alignment with this higher intelligent information, this channel. And, and when you do that, um, y- you will see amazing things happen in your life, and you'll begin to understand that the mind is a receiver. And, and as Jack was saying, we learn to change the channel of our consciousness. And in doing that, we're allowing, you know, in our everyday life, if we do it, you know, we can allow that channel to, to be open and receive information from that higher source. But, uh, again, um, it, it takes due diligence and, and putting in the effort to change the bias of so many of these past life experiences that are affecting every one of us. So, um, so when you do that, you will see whether, you know, you're a musician or you're a painter or you're a dancer or you're a writer, you'll see this, this incredible transformation happen where you'll know that these higher beings are, are coming and working with you. And you'll understand, as you study the text of Unarius, you'll understand that at night when you go to sleep, that you're going to those inner planes of light to to learn some more so that when you wake up the next day, you'll be able to express uh, from a much higher source. So, And I've seen that happen over and over and over again. I know Jack has. Um, and I don't know of any student that has not that has not happened to, where you know, they'll go to sleep at night and know, you know they're going to these inner planes, and the next morning you wake up with the answer. So um, that's a form of channeling. You know, you're you, that's you're getting it from that higher source. So, um, I the, these these volumes that are available to anyone, you know, they're they're priceless. Um, they're just amazing vehicles of transformation for anybody to 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 learn to become their best self. Indeed, they are. And if you could summarize the message of. Uh, the brothers in in a few sentences, what would that message be? Well, for humanity, humanity it is to realize that we have a positive and progressive future for planet Earth. That is A number one because the channel that most people walk around attuned to is of a lower, um, depressing... Uh, yeah. Life is awful. Everything's wrong. State of consciousness. And when you do that, 
now you're putting yourself in rapport with that lower frequency. What everybody, if we could just be aware that there's a much positive, more positive future available for all of us and learn to see each other in our most positive selves and the love and light that's a part of every one of us. And when we do that, now we're going to be channeling from that higher source. Even just saying hello to another person with love in your eyes, you are channeling. I mean, it's not, it's not some, it doesn't have to be some super, you know, outrageous experience. You can channel every moment of every day just by being more aware of the love that's part of every one of us and seeing that in your fellow human beings. And that is a phenomenally awesome thing to strive for. Jack? Yes, uh, and the reason we have a positive future is because we're spiritual beings. This earth world is not the end all. We're we're going to we're going to excuse me. We're going to progress and move forward no matter what happens on this earth plane. The, The future is definitely positive because of the fact that we're going to learn more about spirit and that we also are not just living the one life. I mean, that may seem kind of one-on-one, you know, right now, but that's, uh, it's just part of the the message is the fact that the future is positive because of, of those factors. Thank you very much. And thank you to both of you. Uh, before we uh, wrap up the show, um, aside from uh, Facebook and your website, how else can somebody, uh, tune in to all the wonderful things that uh, Unarius has done and is doing. Well, we have well, classes we have that classes people can that tune into <clears throat> via the uh, internet if they want to take part in that. Uh, and we also, once a month or so, we'll, we will have a, a uh, um, special topic that people will be able to participate uh, over the internet as well, see live and participate that way, or they can come and visit us in El Cajon, California. We would love to have them come visit us in El Cajon, California at the Unary Center and uh, come to the classes there. So um, lots of ways that they can uh, be put in touch with Unarius, whether it's our website, unarius.org, or our Facebook page, or, uh, you know, find us online and then take part in classes. Thank you very much. Jack, do you want to add anything to that? Sure. Uh, yeah, on YouTube, uh, Unarius33 is our channel. And also, while we stream classes uh, Wednesday and Sunday nights at 7 p.m. Pacific time, you can watch those anytime because they're archived. So, so if the time changes a problem if you're on the East Coast, we, we keep Wednesday's class on until we do Sunday's class. And then... You know, of course, then we keep Sunday's class until we do the following Wednesday, Wednesday's class online. So people can always see what we have for a class. Thank you very much. And uh, uh, thank you for being guests on uh, tonight's show and uh, for sharing all this information so generously with us. I'm looking forward to our next uh, conversation. Well, thank you so much. Oh, it's always greatly appreciated uh, when you have us on. Thank you. Wonderful opportunity. Thank you, Hercules. And thank you, Kevin. And thanks to our listeners who've joined us uh, for this past hour. Uh, Until next time, this is Hercules and Kevin and Jack wishing you all joyous journeys and happy adventures. (laughs) 
Who am I? What am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Is there a purpose to all of this? Join Hercules and Victus and crew as they seek answers to these and other timeless questions and serve Mount Olympus by safeguarding the path of mystic ascension 